Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome to At The Movies and Faith Assembly of God, and so good to have everybody here today. We're so glad you came to be with us this morning. Why are movies so popular? Well, it's a storyline, and that story just kind of draws us into the plot and the, uh, the climax of the movie and the storyline and the intrigue that goes along with it, the resolution at the end of the movies, and oftentimes we see ourselves in the character. How many times have you been to a movie and you've seen yourself in that person, that character, that's me, that's, that, I'm, I'm out there and that's me living it out in some way or another. We've chosen four movies over these last uh, few weeks and again next week, but it's all to draw you into the greatest story that you will ever hear and that's the word of God. That's the Bible, and that's what it's really all about. And so we want you to invite your friends and bring them with you in these next, uh, next week especially as we finish up our series. Now, I'm just going to tell you, and, and this is kind of the downside of this kind of a series, I'm going to ruin the movie for you and because uh, you're going to hear the end. You're going to know how the movie ends. You're going to say, well, I don't want to go see it now. He just ruined it for me. Well, I, I'm sorry. That's just kind of the way it's going to go. So if you haven't seen it, we're going to ruin another one for you today. I've had people come up and have suggestions about, why don't you show this movie? Or I like that movie, and it shows that you are engaging to kind of what we're doing here today. But these are the four we've shown because we think they have some powerful lessons for us. Now, let me ask you a question. How many in here have ever been lost? Let me see your hand. You've been seriously lost. How many, how many have been left behind? Someone just took off and left you at a, at a, at a rest area or, uh, or, you know, somewhere along the way. You've just been left behind, and they took off, and you're all by yourself, and you're just totally left behind. Now, here's another question that, that really will, will freak you out. How many have ever lost a child? Let me see your hand. In a mall or somewhere, you can't find them. You're in an amusement park, and they're separated, and you have no idea where they're at, and you lose a child. Probably as a mom or a father, there's nothing more terrifying than the thought of losing a child. And uh, I remember when, we, when I was in youth ministry, I, we were in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was a youth pastor there, and we, we actually lived behind the church. They had a little parsonage behind the church, some apartments there, and so they provided that for my wife and I and our children, and so we had a little tiny apartment and a bunch of kids running around, and uh, Chad at the time, when we first got there, uh, he was like, uh, I don't know, f- five or six years old. And, he, and the, the church was on a main road, so there's all kinds of cars that go by there and people coming in. It was a large church, and so all kinds of people could come on and off the grounds at will. And we're located right behind there, probably 20-something acres of property right there where we were located. And one day, Chad got lost, my oldest son. And we were looking everywhere for him. We could not find him. We're yelling. We're screaming. We're walking all around the, the church parking lot. We're looking through all the offices. We're, we're thinking someone off the streets grabbed him. Now it's been probably uh, 35, 40 minutes. My, my wife's panicking. She's ready to call the police. And we're looking around. We go around behind the, the apartments. And there's a, there's a big old dirt hill on in the back of the property. And he was just down minding his own business, playing with trucks on the backside of the dirt hill. And we couldn't see him. And we were so relieved when we found him. We celebrated. We had a great time because we finally found our son that was lost, that was missing. The, the, the main thing about this story, though, is Chad had no idea he was lost. 
we're panicking, we're going nuts, but, but my son had no earthly idea he was even lost at that time, and, and what a relief when we found him. Uh, the, the, we're going to talk about a movie called The Martian today, and you saw the opening clip. It's about a guy who gets lost on Mars, and, uh, and what happens is they're there, they're on a manned mission to Mars, his name is Mark Watney, and he's there, and it's played by Matt Damon, and he gets left behind. And the crew takes off, and he's all alone because there's this great storm that sweeps across Mars, and it it blows everything away, all their equipment and stuff, and he's blown away. And when they lose radio contact with him, they assume he's dead. They think he's not alive anymore, and they've got to get out of there, and it's about to take their ship down, and they're all going to die if they don't get out of there right away, and it takes off and heads back to Earth. And Mark Watney is alive, and he wakes up, And no one's there anymore. You can imagine how terrifying that must have been. And the rest of the movie, Watney's trying to figure out how he can survive on Mars. Take a little look look at this next clip, if you would. Okay. Hello, this is Mark Watney, astronaut. I'm entering this log for the record, uh, in case I don't make it. Uh, It is... Oh, 6.53 on Sol 19, and I'm alive, obviously, but I'm guessing that's going to come as a surprise to my crewmates and to NASA and to the entire world, really, so surprise, I did not die on Sol 18, uh, best I can figure. This length of our primary communications antenna broke off and tore through my biomonitor and ripped a hole in me as well. Uh, But the the antenna and and the blood really managed to seal the breach in my suit, which kept me alive, even though the crew must have thought I was dead. I have no way to contact NASA, and even if I could, it's going to be four years until a manned mission can reach me. And I'm in a hab designed to last 31 days. If the oxygenator breaks, I'm going to suffocate. If the water reclaimer breaks, I'll die of thirst. If the hab breaches, I'm just going to kind of implode. And if by some miracle none of that happens, eventually I'm going to run out of food. So, yeah. All right. Watney survives on meager supplies, uh, draws upon his own ingenuity and his wit and spirit to survive. And, and, and eventually he will be able to signal Earth. They find There's another uh, satellite or something up there and he gets back and he gets back to Earth and he lets them know that he is alive. And NASA, which I'm a member of today, NASA will spend the rest of the movie trying to save him, trying to figure out how they can get up there and save Mr. Mark Watney, and that's pretty much kind of the whole plot and theme of the movie. Now, there's a couple things that right away jump out at you about this movie, and the first thought is simply this, that the incredible value and worth of even one person. A few amens. The incredible value and worth of even one person. If anyone is valuable, then everyone has value. Let me say that again. If anyone is valuable, then everyone has value. 
Haven't you been there where you craved to be valued and you wanted to be accepted and you just wanted to be loved and you wanted somebody to embrace you and you wanted to feel like you were someone of worth? I think we've all had those feelings before where I just want someone to value me. I want there to be some worth about my life. Isn't that what every single one of us are looking for, that that great need inherent within every single one of us to be loved and to be accepted? It's at the core of of one of our most basic needs of human life. And in this movie, you will see this crew do anything they can to save this guy. There's one guy, he's on Mars, but they're going to do anything they can, risk their lives to save him. Now, this theme runs throughout the entire word of God. You have a heavenly father who will do anything and whatever he can to save you, to save me. Because you have value. You have worth. Who do whatever he can to save you. And that's kind of the, the plot of the word of God from all the way from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. It's God's saving mankind, rescuing us. And if, and if you don't get that simple fact down, the rest of the Bible is totally out of reach. If you don't get that the word of God is an entire love story about God reaching out to you, wanting to save you, wanting to rescue you, if you miss that fact, you will not understand the rest of the word of God. That's what it's all about. It's all about it. Ezekiel 18.4 says this, For every living soul belongs to me, the Father as well as the Son, both alike belong to me. For every living soul belongs to me, the Father as well as the Son, both alike belong to me. Now, it doesn't mean every soul belongs to me and and the body and spirit belongs to you. Sometimes we think of man made up of body, soul, and spirit, of a tripart being, and there is that dimension in the word of God. But that's not what the word soul means here. The word soul is taken from a Hebrew word, nefesh, and it literally means the life or the being. It's who we are. It's, it's a, when he says every soul belongs to me, he means every being belongs to me. Every person belongs to me. Every life belongs to me, both the Father and the Son. And you don't inherit this from the Father. You are not God's because your Father passed it on to you. If you are a living being, you belong to God and you are valuable to God, both the Father and the Son, everybody on the earth, everybody has value and worth to God. Every soul, he says, belongs to me. We have great, great value to God. It, it, for you that have seen the movie, we're we'll just going to show a few clips today, so I can't go into, so I'll have to fill in some of the gaps for you. But it's interesting, in this movie, there is no effort to show uh, Mark Watney's girlfriend. You don't see her crying in the background and in NASA headquarters and bawling every day. You don't see the mom there saying, oh, my son, he's on Mars, what are we going to do? You don't see the sister, you don't see the father. There's no other mention throughout the entire movie of Mark Watney's family whatsoever. And as far as you know from the movie line, his only friends are his crewmates. He's underlining the truth in Ezekiel that he alone has intrinsic value. He has intrinsic value all by himself as a living, breathing being. 
He wasn't responding, to, NASA didn't respond to some mother's crying out, you gotta go back and save my son. You kinda get that kind of theme in Private Ryan where the, where the mother has lost all her sons and they gotta go make this rescue attempt to save Private Ryan. Well, this is a little different thought. The, the, the whole idea is there's one man all by himself on Mars, uh, all alone, but in and of himself, he has intrinsic value. And that is the way it is with every single one of us. In the eyes of God, you have great worth and great value to God. All souls belong to God. You are very, very valuable. You are very, very precious to God. God loves you more than you could ever dream or more than you could ever imagine because you are one of God's souls. And when you understand the gospel, when you understand the good news, when you understand that verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, it takes you then to a whole new level about how much God loves you and cares about you. You have incredible worth today. Mark Watney is going to need water to survive, and uh, he's going to figure out a way. He's a scientist, of course, and so he's going to figure out a way to make water, but he needs something flammable to get the uh, process started, the heat, in order that he can make water. I don't know how it all works. So you may, if there's a scientist in here, you may have it figured out already. But he's going to need some kind of fire or heat to begin the process of making water so he can survive and so he can live while he's up there on Mars. But I want you to notice what he uses, and I want you to notice the symbolism. Go ahead, take a look. Show that next clip if you would. water. I have created 126 square meters of soil, but every cubic meter of soil requires 40 liters of water to be farmable. So I got to make a lot more water. Good thing is I know the recipe. You take hydrogen, you add oxygen, you burn. Now I have hundreds of liters of unused hydrogen at the NDV. If I run the hydrazine over an iridium catalyst, it'll separate into N2 and H2. And then if I just direct the hydrogen into a small area and burn it, luckily in the history of humanity, nothing bad has ever happened from lighting hydrogen on fire. NASA hates fire because of the whole fire makes everybody die in space thing. So everything they sent us up here with is flame retardant, with the notable exception of Martinez's personal items. I am sorry, Martinez, but if you didn't want me to go through your stuff, you shouldn't have left me for dead on a desolate planet. By the way, I'm figuring you're going to be fine with this, given my present situation. Counting on you. Wow. going to burn the cross. Symbolism. The summary of God's rescue plan is all summed up in the cross. God's rescue plan for humanity was Jesus Christ dying and hanging on the cross for you and for me. Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to look at two verses with you this morning. Ephesians 2 and verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Everybody say that together. Rich in mercy. Made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. God, who is rich 
in mercy. What does that mean? It means he has a lot of it. Rich in mercy, full of mercy, he has a lot of mercy. That's, that's who God is. That's what God is all about. God is a merciful God. My God who is rich in mercy. There's, there's another phrase that you'll see a lot in the Old Testament. It says, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, he said, God was merciful. God was rich in mercy. God gave his life for us. God died for us while we were still sinners. It's not anything about what we did. Christ didn't die for us because of anything we did. If anything, we deserve death. But because you have great value, because you have great worth, God sends Jesus Christ, he dies on the cross, he gives his life that we might have everlasting life. God, out of his own nature, what is his nature? Loving kindness and mercy. He does this for all humanity because you are of great value to God. Therefore, because we are of great value to God, we need to learn how to value ourselves. We need to say yes to God's opinion of who we are and value ourselves because we have great worth to God. Now notice I did not say our own worthiness because we are not worthy of what Jesus Christ did for us. We could never, ever earn it. But you do have great worth. How do you determine something's value or something's worth? The only way to determine that is what someone is willing to pay for it, right? You think you have an heirloom that's worth a whole lot of money and you may put it out there in a garage sale and you're wanting a hundred bucks and no one, they're all walking by, turning up their noses and finally you sell it for 20 bucks. What was it worth? 20 bucks because that's all you could get for it. I, I saw the other day uh, a little news clip that Marilyn Monroe's gown that she sang in when she sang happy birthday to President Kennedy at that time sold for four million pounds. When you add the taxes and, the, and what Sotheby's auction house got on top of it, it was about 4.8 something billion pounds or close to $5 million for a dress. And, and I, they showed a picture of the dress. I don't know many ladies that could get into that dress, to be honest with you, so I don't know how much good it's gonna do anybody. What is it worth? It's worth what someone's willing to pay for it. What are you worth? Jesus paid for you with his very own blood. That means you have incredible, incredible worth and value today. He gave his life for you. That's how much you are worth. Now, the reason I'm, I'm spending a little time here is because there's people who have trouble on how they view themselves. I mean, this is a real problem we have today. People do not view themselves as God sees them, and so they struggle in this area. And I'm not talking about humility and because there's a whole place for humility and being humble, but there's also what I call a self-destructive humility. It's where we put ourselves down to the point where we're of no value, no good, no worth to anybody else. The I'm a wretched piece of dirt, and I'm no good, and I'm no good. I'm, a, I'm an evolved blob of pound scum, pond scum, excuse me, pond, should be the word, not pound, pond scum. 
or I've had a lot of failures in my life and I've missed a lot of opportunities and I have so many regrets and therefore I'm really not very good or I have a list of sins that are a mile long and I can never measure up to God and God can never accept me and God can never love me because you don't know, Pastor, how bad I've been in my life. Or, or this is bad too, we, we compare ourselves with one another as, and I'm not as good in so-and-so and, so and I, I don't look like this person and I'm not as smart as that person, I'm not as athletic as that person and you fill in the blanks, but I'm not as good as. And all those kind of thinking that is a self-destructive thought pattern that drags us down and you begin to focus on what you're not instead of who you are. And I'll tell you who you are. You are of great value and worth to the Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that he bought you with his own precious blood. And the result of this self-destructive thought pattern goes something like this. One is apathy. I might as well give up. What's the use? I'm really no good. And you get depressed and down and apathetic and there's no motivation in your life. Or the opposite extreme is there's always this constant striving. And somehow if I work harder and if I work, 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 I will try to please my own earthly father. I'll please those around me. I'll please everybody else. And I'm somehow I'm going to pay for all my mistakes by my hard work. Both of those are very self-destructive behaviors. We want to be validated. We want to be accepted. And in the end, we end up being very, very frustrated and miserable and unhappy in life. That's the opposite of where God wants to take you. The Word of God says that every single human being is made in the image of God. Think about that for a moment. When he formed you and he made you, you were made in God's image. And you are so valuable to the Lord and all the souls belong to him. And and when you begin to understand that, you find that place of peace that you can rest rest in knowing that God loves you and cares about you and you have great value to him. It's an amazing way to live your life. Since we were dead in trespasses and sin, we read in Hebrews chapter 2, I don't need to carry my past sins anymore. The sins are gone. They've been taken away. They've been removed. I I can stop trying to earn God's favor because he loves me and and I'm saved because he's rich in mercy, not because of anything I've done. And and i got to stop trying to prove that I'm somebody to somebody else. Uh, But I simply rest in the fact that in the Lord Jesus Christ, I have value and I have worth. I think, though, even the even harder part is the second observation is simply this. We are called by God to value others because every soul has value, not just you, but everyone who is still out there and everyone who still doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ and every person on planet Earth, regardless of how old or how young or whatever state they find themselves in, everybody has value to God. Therefore, because all souls are valuable to God, i got to do all I can to reach them. The greatest theme of the movie, The Martian, is, is, is how that this one man, Mark Watney, is worth rescuing. And so the whole rest of the movie becomes this whole rescue mission of somehow how are we going to get back and how are we going to save him and find him. And so they go through all these expensive measures and they take this incredible risk that they all may lose their life. And they go through this crazy attempt to save one man's life. And of course, you know, the movie, they're going to save him. That's the plot of the movie, and that's the happy ending. 
But take a look at this next clip. This is when NASA is trying to decide, or the crew is trying to decide whether they're going to go back and save Mark or not. Take a look. They found out he's alive. Would it work? Mm-hmm. We ran the numbers. They check out. It's a brilliant course. It's so wild, the cloak and dagger. Because it goes directly against NASA's decision. Yeah. If we do the maneuver, they'd have to send the supply ship where we die. We have the opportunity to force their hand. So, we're going to do it? If it's up to me, we'd already be on our way. But it is, though, isn't it? Up to you? <laughs> Not this time. This is something NASA expressly rejected. We're talking about mutiny here, which is not a word that I take lightly. So we do this together or not at all. And before you answer, consider the consequences. If we mess up the supply rendezvous, we die. If we mess up the Earth gravity assist, we die. If we do everything perfectly, we had 533 days to our mission. 533 more days before we see our families again. 533 days of unplanned space travel where anything could go wrong. If it's mission critical, we die. Sign me up. All right, cowboy, slow down. You and I were military. Chances are we go home, they'll court-martial us. Oh, yeah, there's that. And for the rest of you guys, I guarantee they will never send you back up here again. Good. So if we go for it, how, uh, how would it work? I plot the course and execute it. Remote override. They could take over the Hermes for mission control. Can you disable it? Hermes has four redundant flight computers, each connected to three redundant comm systems. We can't shut down the comms because we'd lose telemetry and guidance, and we can't shut down the computers because we need to run the ship. I'd have to disable remote override on each system. It's part of the OS. I'd have to jump over the code. Okay, but like in English, like what would that mean? I can do it. Well, it has to be unanimous. If we do this, it will be over 900 days of space. That's more than enough space for one life, so... Yes. I vote yes. Let's go get him. Yeah, Hanson? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah! <laughs> All right, they decide to go get them. They're uh, going to slingshot around the Earth, and the Earth's gravitational force is going to push them on back to Mars. They're going to disregard NASA's order to come back home because Mark Watney is there, and there's one man, there's one person, one crewmate that is worth saving. And they're going to spend the next three years in space, a year and a half to get back to Mars, and a year and a half to pick him up and then come back to Earth. Now, now listen, if you're on that boat, if you're on that spaceship, and they say to you, you're going to be gone for the next three years of your life. You're going to be on this spaceship, and you're going to risk your very lives to go all the way on this mission to do this, and it's going to be very, very dangerous. And they said, how many are going to vote to go? I wonder how many of us would have raised our hands and said, yeah, I'm in. Three years, they're going to be gone. They're going to be away. It's going to be incredible sacrifice, but... They vote unanimously to head on back. Eventually, NASA joins in when they figure out what's going on, and they try to lend all their support to get there. So the flight director's involved. They somehow get involved with uh, other countries that add their expertise and knowledge that they have, and countless hours of research and millions of dollars are spent, and the crew all to save one man. One man. 
And so what you have here, the essence of the movie is, it is a rescue story. And there's been a lot of rescue movies out there. 33 was recently out, how they rescued the guys in the mine. There's all kinds of rescue movies that have been made over the years. And, and what happens is, if the rescue's successful, it pulls us in, and we all cheer, and we get excited, and we're clapping our hands. And when, even when you got to the climax, that last little point right there, you say, yes, they're going. You're all excited because they're going to go back, and they're going to save Mark. And Mark's going to make it. He's going to be okay. And, and, and the reason we're like this, why we're like this, is because God has put a rescue story inside of every single one of us. There's a rescue story built within man. There's this God-shaped vacuum that needs to be filled, and only God can fill that. There is this longing in our heart to be rescued, to be saved ourselves. Listen to me, Jesus is not just a teacher, he is not just a prophet. The name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. It means the Lord saves, the Lord saves. Jesus Christ is our savior. He is all about rescuing us. He came to sacrifice, he came to rescue, he came to deliver. Because everybody needs rescuing. We all have value to God. Luke 15 tells three consecutive stories. And Jesus, of course, is the master storyteller. And, and as you go through the book of Luke, he's telling these stories here. And these are three rescue stories all linked together. And so you have one rescue story after another. The first rescue story in the first seven verses is the lost sheep. And, and we'll talk about that in a moment. The second rescue story is the lost coin and how the lost coin is going to be rescued. And the third rescue story is the lost son. Sometimes we call the story the prodigal son. And so it's about three lostness and God coming along and rescuing each of them. Now, let me tell you what, what precipitated these stories that Jesus Christ tells. It is simply this. The Pharisees and Sadducees are mad at Jesus. They were always mad at him. And they're grumbling and complaining and griping. Why? Because Jesus Christ hangs out with sinners. And so if you're on a rescue mission, the very fact that you are on a rescue mission will put you in awkward situations where you might have to hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors as it was in Jesus' day. Because he's on a rescue mission. He says, I didn't come to, to save those who are already found. I came to reach the lost. I came to save the lost. I'm the great physician. I came to heal the sick. The healthy don't need a physician, only those who are sick. And if you are on the same kind of rescue mission that Jesus Christ was on, it will put you in some uncomfortable, awkward situations because I've got to rescue that person who's still out there. Right? Nod, look at me. Yes, I, I understand that. I get that. Let's read it. Look at Luke 15, verse 4. We'll read the first of these three stories today. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety and nine in the open country and, and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous person who do not need to repent. What a great story. What a picture of the shepherd. You know, let me tell you a little bit about sheep. If you don't know this already, sheep are dumb animals. Dumb animals. 
really stupid. And, and they put their heads down, and they're grazing in the grass, and they just kind of just, they can wander off in a moment. They could be out there by themselves, get behind a bush, get behind a rock, and, and the shepherd moves on, and he gets ready to take his sheep together and take them back to their pens for the night. And, and there could be one out there just because he wandered off because his head's down, he's not paying attention. He never intended to get lost. There are many people like that in this world. They never intended to get lost. But the Bible describes those where the cares of the world come in and begin to choke out the seed of the word of God. And they, and they get so caught up and they start working overtime because they got to make a lot of money to take care of their family. And, and they start missing Sunday after Sunday in church. And pretty soon they're out of the habit of coming. And they just it's easier to sleep at home in the morning. And, and we rationalize, well, I'm finally off on Sunday. But you know what? I've worked so hard and i got to get up so early the next day. And I've got to rest today. I've got to just hang out today and certainly it'll be okay and pretty soon it becomes less and less frequent and pretty soon you're not in church at all anymore and you stray from the rest of the flock and all the flock comes together and we celebrate and we rejoice and we worship the Lord together but there's that one lost sheep that is still out there they don't come and they're separated and, and, and they're open to predators and they're open to being caught and killed and, and all kinds of bad things happening because they're separated from the rest of the flock and, and we neglect the Lord and we neglect our time with the Lord and we don't pray anymore and we don't read his Bible anymore. And, and just through neglect, just through busyness, just through life that goes on, we, we neglect the Lord, we forget all about him and we gradually grow what the Bible calls as lukewarm. Whether you are hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm. And the flock comes in for the night. And the shepherd's there, and he's counting the sheep. And they're marching by, and he counts each sheep one by one. He knows he has 100 sheep, and he's getting put them in the pen for the night. And, and they're all going by, and he watches every sheep go by. And, and he knows the sheep, who they are. He knows their movements. He knows their idiosyncrasies. He knows the pattern of each sheep that goes into that gate. He even knows them by name and has each sheep named. Oh, there goes Harry. There goes Curly. There goes, you know, and, and he's calling them out, and he knows who the lazy sheep are. And he knows who the active sheep are, and he knows who the ones who snap at each other and bite, and he's always separating those two sheep, and he's counting them all off. And the shepherd notices one's missing, and he heads out on a rescue mission. He secures the pen. He locks it down. He leaves his 99 sheep behind. 99 sheep that are safe in the fold. 99 sheep that are comfortable in church on Sunday morning. He, he leaves them behind. Because there's one still out there. And if he doesn't get to that sheep, the wolves will get to him first. And he'll be devoured. He'll wander off and never, ever find his way back home. He won't, he, he's too stupid. He can't get there on his own. He needs a shepherd to come and find him and, and bring him. And the Bible says when he finds that sheep, he even takes him and puts that sheep on his shoulders and he carries him back to make sure that he gets back very, very safely. Listen, he wasn't satisfied with a favorable percentage. 99% would be great. Man, when I, if I ever got a 99% on a test, I was thrilled. 99% we'd be rejoicing. But it wasn't about percentages. It was about souls. It was about souls. It was about that one that was still lost and out there. 
We cannot sit back and wait for one lost sheep to come home and find us. And we can't put our sign out on the interstate and light it up and wait for the lost sheep to come flocking into Faith Assembly of God. Listen, there's churches all over the low country. There's a lot of great ones, but most people will never, ever find a church anywhere. We can't just assume because we're here, they're going to come running in. They're sheep. Their heads are down on the ground. They're, They're not paying attention. They're doing their own thing. They're lost. We must go and seek and find the one lost sheep. Why? Because that lost sheep has value and worth to God. Why? Because all souls belong to the Lord, and the shepherd rejoices, and the party ensues, and he takes that sheep and he puts it over his neck. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you getting this this morning? Is this sinking in? Is is, is it happening for you? Are you getting the the reality of what we're talking about today, about the the one lost sheep that's still out there? Go ahead and begin rolling that if you would. You see, you are made in the image of God. You belong to him. You belong to the Lord today. You are his. You have value. And Jesus Christ is your rescuer. And he will do whatever he can and whatever it takes to find you and rescue you and bring you safely back in because without Jesus Christ you are lost. And he loves you and he longs to bring you back into his fold. And he wants to get you back into safety and he wants to bring you back into his house, into his place, into his arms. He loves you so very much that Jesus Christ gave his life on Calvary for you and he died on the cross for you. Jesus left his position of glory. You see, the greatest rescue story is this. Jesus Christ left heavens and he became a man. And we'll talk about that a lot next month when we get into Christmas season and Jesus Christ having to become flesh that he might rescue us and save us. But he became a man. He came to earth. He left his position in the heavenly realms and said, you know what? I am going to become a man. I'm going to become like them. I'm going to give my life for them that I might rescue them. He invaded planet Earth and rescues his creation. You have value to God. You were created by him, and he is on one great rescue mission today, and that's the essence of my message this morning. He has a full life for you right now. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only true life there is. And you know what happens? The Bible says when that sheep is found, all of heaven rejoices And there's a party going on. And there's a celebration going on. And heaven's going wild. And they're going nuts because you know what? That one lost sheep that was lost has been found. And whether it's Mark Watney on planet Mars coming down to earth or or whether it's you here this morning not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, you came in and you said, you know what? Someone invited me. Someone gave me a card. I saw the movie, wanted to figure out what was going on in church. Listen, you're here because by the divine providence of God. And the moment you say, Lord, I need you come into my life, it will set off the greatest celebration in heaven. And not only is all of heaven rejoicing, but everybody in this church is going to rejoice and we're going to clap and we're going to shout and we're going to be excited because someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ will now find their Lord and Savior and they will be rescued, delivered from sin, delivered from bondage, set free and on their way to heaven. That's how much God loves you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org 
for podcasts and videos of our previous messages. 